It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's uh, Tuesday, it's 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, so we're here. I'm live in the studio today, uh, just getting ready to go to the Inc. 5000 conference out in Palm Desert, California. Uh, My company was named one of the... Uh, 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies. Uh, so really proud about that. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the show today. Um, in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning in or maybe you haven't been here in a while and kind of need a little refresher on how we do things here. Uh, essentially, I've invited uh, two guests that either I've met or I've run into or I've become aware of, whether it's through LinkedIn or uh, all sorts of different places um, uh, through reputation uh, or even referral and, and brought them onto this show so we can have a dialogue, have a conversation about what they're thinking about from culture, talent, leadership, um, and of course then giving you the opportunity to hear uh, their incredibly uh, smart answers and, and hopefully learn something and get something you can take back to your company or back to your life uh, and use uh, right away. So uh, Talent Talk is live, like I said, every uh, Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it can be uh, accessed, though. Most people kind of come in after the fact. So we have a good little uh, li- uh, group of listeners that come in live. But most of you come in after the fact. You like to maybe listen to it as a podcast on iTunes or listen to it on iHeartRadio when you're on the treadmill or at a kid's soccer practice or whatever it may be. But uh, we have over 10,000 downloads a day happening. Um, and we're really excited and uh, thankful for uh, everyone in the audience coming in and participating. And the big thing that we've really been pushing on lately is trying to have more interaction um, on Twitter. So if you uh, are on Twitter or don't mind hopping onto Twitter, then send us a question, uh, send us your suggestions, feedback, whatever it may be. You can send it to at PeopleG2, use that hashtag Talent Talk. If you follow uh, PeopleG2, we generally like to uh, announce uh, who the guests will be. There you can find their Twitter handles if they have them, and you can ask questions and kind of start from there. So love to have you do that. If you come up with a great question today, we try to work it in. Uh, my two guests today, uh, first we'll bring on uh, Grace uh, Villanueva, uh, Chief Consultant uh, in Human Capital Partners, uh, Inc. And then we'll have Mandy Clark on after the commercial break, President of Optimizing You. Um, but let's go ahead and get to my uh, first guest, uh, Gra- uh, Grace. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this today. Well, I'm excited to have you here and uh, learn more about you and what you're doing. Why don't you tell everyone, you know, kind of what's the important things for us to know about you right now? And, of course, what are you doing over at Human Capital Partners? I think, importantly, um, well, um, I've been in the business for 18 years in this industry. I've definitely learned a lot. Um, I, you know, I'm a human capital and business advisor, um, so there's a lot that I've learned early on. I was very fortunate to have a great mentor, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later and the importance of, of mentoring and how you can grow your career in that. But um, so, I've, like I said, I've been in the industry for a very, very long time. I am bilingual fluent, so that's a plus here in California. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And I, I do provide um, many of um, and I would say in the past um, probably eight years, I've been providing small business owners advice on HR and business manners as they're trying to grow their business. So that's been really my focus in the past eight years. So I know you bring kind of a wide range of experience to, to your role in this world of HR, and uh, sounds like uh, kind of an expanding reach there with being bilingual as well. But at your core, what is it that makes you passionate about HR and, and developing leaders? You know, it's really making a difference um, in in organizations. I, 
you know, I've been very fortunate to work directly with um, small business owners, entrepreneurs, and and trying. They're focusing on their business um, service or product, and really explaining to them the importance of. And sometimes, many many times, we see that um, they don't have the opportunity to to add HR at the beginning, of course, until later on, usually after they grow, after the, after they have employees of, what, 50 employees and plus. So sometimes they don't, um, they don't see all the things that they need to see in regards to the human resources aspect of it and the importance of it and connecting all those dots at the very beginning. So when they transition in to you know, growing their business, um, it'll transition into the rest of the business as well. So really, you know, based on your profile, um, you're very in tune with legal compliance and legal issues for companies as well. So maybe you could talk a little bit about why so many companies are kind of lacking in this area or maybe what they're kind of missing um, when it comes to, to being HR compliant. I think it's the resources and the lack of knowledge. Um, it definitely, like I mentioned, when, you, when you're a small business owner or entrepreneur and you're, you're just growing, I think um, there's different components that are, are very vital to the business um, and you're hiring so rapidly. I think really the, the resources is one of the things. One thing, I've, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of nonprofit organizations as well, and that's also, I, I've seen that's a really, really big challenge um, is, is funding as well. Um, the lack of knowledge. Um, so that's where I come in. That's where the you know HR consultants come in and, and advise and and provide that guidance. And sometimes you know we stay on for probably a year, a few years. Um, it's it's not necessarily just you know a short a short project, but sometimes you stay on longer and then advise them during that transition. And I also notice that uh, whether it's with our clients or people, companies, and uh, people we know, or ones that I consult with. It's, it's often that mentality of um, the kind of the same reason that we speed, right? We think, well, we're not going to get caught, and, and, you know, it's not that big of a deal if we're going 70 or 75 on the freeway. Um, but then all of a sudden you do get pulled over and you get that ticket, and you're like, man, why was I doing that? Uh, do, do you see some of that as well with your with clients or, or companies that you're kind of exposed to that at some level it's a wait until they get in trouble or it's too much of a hassle to kind of really be completely compliant until they get their hands slapped? Yes, I definitely do see that. Um, I've, I've been involved where I've had to represent organizations um, with labor claims and wage issues. I mean, you hear it still to this day. It's amazing how much we've evolved, right, especially with technology and everything available just really quickly at, at your fingertips as far as compliance, as far as laws and what have you. But large, large companies... Um, one of the things that I like to look at is safe um, case studies, and I learned so much about you know how they, how still to this day some of them are are you know don't necessarily get that right. And these are large global companies that are paying millions of dollars um, in in compliance issues and fines. Um, again, I worked with smaller um, business owners, and and I do explain to them if, even if the larger ones are not getting this right, there's something wrong there, and, and you don't want to be put in that situation again that affects your branding that affects it has a huge impact and lasting impact you know people don't want to go and work for a company that can't even get the you know the overtime issue right right recently just in the past 12 months there's been two organizations large ones don't want to get into the names of those but um that were not able to get that right and not able to pay people you know the basic overtime um, and those are things that, yes, they, they think, okay, they set up their systems, they and start paying people, lack of resources, lack of knowledge in, in those areas, they end up making mistakes or they end up saying, you know, we, you know, we keep doing what we're doing, it's been working fine until someone goes in there and tells them, wait a minute, you know, you need to be doing this this way and this is why. And sometimes, again, the, the lack of... of Resources. I think it's a big, big challenge for those. Now, you mentioned um, uh, wage and uh, kind of issues um, there. Are, are those the biggest areas where people are, how they're paying them or how they're classifying them? Or are you seeing other areas where lack of compliance is sort of the... I, I think thing? Com- classification for sure. Definitely, that's still, um, that's still a challenge. I think one of the things that I've noticed, even doesn't matter what size of organization you are, one of the things that I've definitely noticed is the classification of the exempt to non-exempt. 
that's one challenge that you go in that there's there's definitely tools templates a lot of information out there even when you look at the labor the labor law in regards to the classification and it guides you um, and I'll just speak of like California for instance it's very you know very simple um, but just looking at it um, I've even been in a situation where there's three individuals three professionals and we're reading the same the same law but three different people interpret it wrong. So I can see how business owners, without having the HR guidance there or a, a human capital advisor there, um, I can easily see how a business owner or their management team um, can easily make that mistake and, and misclassifying it. And it's truly not something that I've noticed that um, in many, many years, and to this day I still see it, um, that they, they don't seem to get that. Correct, and that in itself will end up with wage issues, um, labor claims, um, and then and then that opens up the issue to, you know, treating them differently, and then you have, you know, a whole different array of harassment issues as well, and you know, so the disparity between all of that as well. So that opens up a whole different, and that becomes a whole nother legal issue. Mm-hmm. So those mistakes actually have a domino effect. Um, one simple misclassification um, can lead into a whole different other issue. Yeah, we see this a lot with our clients. Um, uh, not a lot, but we see it when it does happen. It's um, with the background checks that they've done one, one piece of the compliance part wrong. And so when an attorney comes in and starts sniffing around, they start finding other things that could be wrong, um, right. or interpretations. And so suddenly something small that maybe might be a single violation or single fine in California can be 10 to $20,000. Right. Now all of a sudden turns into a class action, right? And they, and they yep. come in and read every piece of paper and turn over every desk and you know it's it's big and so taking care of it early on would certainly have been a lot easier and far more cost effective than uh, waiting until you get pulled over you know for essentially uh, for one of those issues so right and it sounds like those are the kinds of things that you're helping uh, companies you know tackle and and hopefully uh, become better at you know, other things that might be important that companies will look at are things like strategic planning um, as part of the HR function. And maybe you could talk a little about what what are CEOs and other, you know, C-suite executives looking for um, when it comes to HR support and assisting them in that kind of strategic map of the company. As I mentioned early on, I think coaching early on in my career, I was I was very fortunate to be linked and connected with. Um, I, I started early on with a, a global company, so they definitely had the resources to connect me with um, with a, a mentor, a coach and mentor. And I learned early on the value of that. And one of the things that I I do see that um, with CEOs, and I, again, I worked with large companies as well, global companies, I'm pretty much every size of a company I've worked with. One of the things that I do see is the really the HR leadership coaching and mentoring, not just from your your executive top leaders, but everyone within that within that department. And and their expectation is really for HR to stay connected to the operations. There's the day to day, day in and day out operations. It's really staying connected with management. Um, and coaching and mentoring. It's one thing that we go out there, right, and we're um, communicating policies and procedures and don't do this because of that. And it, it, it's a constant reminder, right? But I find value, and, and again, I in, in speaking directly when working with CEOs, um, it's really the coaching and mentoring that I see that they are, are looking for from the HR managers, um, HR generalists, is Again, you're doing the day-to-day operation, but how are you going to stay connected? One of the things that I found value to was coaching and mentoring and really setting that up from even if you're a small company and you're one HR person that is handling it all, you have to find a way to figure out how to do coaching and mentoring with your management. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, um, it's something that seems like it can be overwhelming for companies, but also something that can have a lot of um, really incredible value if they can do it right. You know, one of the strategic things that we've seen companies trying to to, to think about, um, but maybe are having they're struggling or they're kind of putting their resources in the wrong place, or maybe even their attention in the wrong place. But certainly seeing a, um, a struggle with diversity. You know, Uber's had a big problem with it. Um, there's oh yeah. <laughs> certainly a lot of small companies are having trouble with it. I have always been a proponent for a diversity of thought. 
Um, and so if you get people in the organization who can think differently and you're actively looking for that, I noticed that you tend to have a better diversity when it comes to age, when it comes to gender, when it comes to race as well. Um, but what is your advice and what are you seeing uh, when you're talking to companies, when you're looking at diversity and becoming more diverse, or maybe if they're struggling to put that uh, something into place or finding common ground, where do you kind of come in on that uh, on that thought? I agree with you, Chris. Um, diversity of thought. I, I very much agree with you. When it comes down to it, it translates to me um, and to those that I've worked with is respect. Bottom line is respect. You've got to respect the differences of whatever their background is, whatever their race is, whatever their religion is, whatever their belief system is, whether their spirituality, whether their whatever it, it, it is. Um, and yes, and now you've seen um, there's many changes, many organizations that are making small changes as well to, to being able to bring that, that difference. And really, to me, it's more of the communication and awareness and really getting to know, developing something in, within your organization that you're actually going to promote, um, but as well as support the fact that your team members, um, colleagues, coworkers, everyone that's going to get to really know each other. Um, I think when you get to know each other and you connect with people, we're so busy. I, I, when I walk into a company organization, one of the things that I notice is they're having a lot of issues, right? They're problems constantly. My, my, my job is to really resolve the problems. I get paid to solve their problems, resolve their problems, whether they're small or big. Um, but I, I, I find it that they're really not, they don't know each other. They've been working with each other, or literally they're in the same department, and they don't know anything about each other. And to me, it's about connecting the people. If you start connecting the people, and you get to know them, and you develop a relationship, then you can be able to respect them and the differences and why they think the way they do and why they believe in what they do. It's really about understanding that individual that you're working with right next to and respecting them. And I think that will transcend across the organization if they start doing that. Yeah, I agree. And um, really having that ability to have that respect, you know, it does. You do need to have that uh, diversity of thought. You need to have those those different types of people in your organization if you want to have. Because if everyone thinks the same, if everyone looks the same, or whatever that may be, it's a little bit harder to kind of achieve some of that. Um, are there other areas of culture or other areas where you think companies can spend, you know, their, their time, effort, their energy, their strategic planning, um, where they can see a big uh, improvement in the company or a big, um, you know, shift in, in attitudes and, uh, and and maybe even productivity? Um, I think it's really, um, again, changing their way of thinking because what, what I find is that you've been doing it for so long the same way, and one of the things that is is a constant that I see is that is this a real culture fit they're interviewing someone right or I'm in a panel or I get you know invited to be part of a panel uh, interview and it, is it really their focus is more about <clears throat> excuse me more about is this a person that's really right for our culture I start looking at it like no I mean you have to look at this person like many of them bring in the same skills you can hire the same skills but it's the person that is going to bring this energy that's going to be able to bring us to a different change something change I think is is a good thing because it challenges everybody um, and to start thinking differently in regards to not always doing it the same way um, maybe it's worked but sometimes if we change it a little we can even become better at that yeah, absolutely. And are there other areas, um, you know, um, maybe simple things that you suggest companies look at um, if they want to, you know, make improvements as well? Simple things. Let's see here. Um, really, again, like I've, I've worked with um, smaller companies, I would think is, is really empowering um, those that are within, because there's many companies when it's, it's small business, um, the, you only have one person at a department per se, right? Right. So it's really trusting them and empowering them. So those small business owners that are probably trying to do it all, um, really empowering those people that you hire and let them flourish at what they do. They're really good at what they do. Allow them to grow. And many of them will surprise you. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think you know, companies sometimes can overlook some of the simple things um, that make it easy. 
um, to make changes or to make your company feel more connected or to improve your culture. Um, we don't always have to do a gigantic thing. <laughs> right. I, um, I think it's just letting go, really, because what I find is those business owners that are, are transitioning from small, trying to get to the midsize, right, and they're rapidly hiring individuals. But it's they're trying... They're trying so hard not to let go. It's that control. Let go. Let go and allow those people that you've hired that they're really good at what they do. Believe in them, and right. and they they will flourish. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen it. I've worked with them, and those that follow my advice, it happens. Right. Well, um, one of our favorite questions to to ask our guests, um, and because usually we get some really interesting answers or cool answers, is uh, is there a book that you're reading right now, or maybe you recently read that you might suggest uh, people check out? You know, I'm actually in the middle of two. I always do two. <laughs> um, one of the books is, um, one of the things that I've always um, um, have challenge, a challenge with is really that work-life balance. And I think many of many individuals out there um, have that. It's, it's called Juggling Elephants, um, and it's a useful, it's a small book. Um, it's a way to balance the most important things in your work and life, because sometimes it does feel like a circus. Um, at least for me, sometimes I'm juggling so much, um, and it just kind of bringing you know myself back and saying, okay. How, and sometimes I need to get back into my book and read it and say, okay, I got to read, you know, stay focused and do this, and try to work that balance out with life and and work. It's I'm considered to be a lot of times it's a you're a workaholic. You you need to slow down. You need to slow down and kind of you know enjoy life a little. And I do joy enjoy life. Um, but it is sometimes a, a challenge, mm-hmm. especially with your. I'm, I'm a one-person um, business consultant. I actually work with a lot of other consultants, and we subcontract. Sometimes they can't take on some of the other projects, so I take those on. Um, and we're juggling a lot. We're juggling several accounts at the same time. So it's it's trying to find that balance. Absolutely, and juggling elephants sounds like an interesting book uh, to read. Uh, sometimes the short ones are are good because. It, more people have it's it. a simple read. It's a small yeah. book, um, but it, it's it's very very interesting. Yeah, it sounds like a good one to check out. And so you know, you, you've mentioned a lot of uh, really interesting things today. We talked about compliance and a lot of diversity in a lot of different areas. If there was one thing that you hope somebody might remember if they were listening today, but maybe you know they they have a short term uh, a memory issue, if they were to remember one thing, what what's that one thing you want people to take away from what we talked about today? I think most important, um, and I think it, it will connect with all the things that I did mention earlier, is connect with those that you serve. Just remember that. Connect with those that you serve. If you find the time to connect with those that you serve, make the time in your day to connect with them, um, preferably in person. Right. Absolutely. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about Human Capital Partners? Um, they can reach me at Grace V period Villanueva, and that's V I L L A N U E V A at gmail dot com, or they can reach me directly at three two three area code nine zero five four two five five, or they connect with me through LinkedIn as well. Well, fantastic! I uh, really appreciate you being on the show today, Grace. Uh, we um, learned a lot, and uh, hopefully, we have you come back at some point and uh, give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Thank you so much, Chris, for the invite. It was a pleasure. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with my second guest, Mandy Clark. Thank you. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. 
Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, don't forget you can find us on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, listen to us there. Also, TalentTalkRadio.com is another great place to find it. So if you can get to the Internet, you can get to all of our past shows. Uh, this show will be turned into a podcast here uh, usually next week or week after uh, pretty quick. And we have those up. We'd love to have you listen. And then, of course, we'd love to keep the dialogue going on Twitter. So if you want to listen to a past show and send us your thoughts, uh, you can do it there. Or if you're listening live, uh, anytime you can send us questions and anything else to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag TalentTalk. Uh, we love to, to read them and interact with everyone uh, uh, there. So uh, we're going to go ahead and now uh, bring in uh, Mandy Clark. She's a president of Optimizing You. Um, and uh, Mandy, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you and maybe your past, and then, of course, what you and your company do over at Optimizing You. Absolutely. Sure. So um, I guess to, to start off, um, I have a pretty lengthy history of doing human resources within corporate environments. And I actually started my career close to 20 years ago um, with pretty large uh, companies. Uh, I started off actually after graduating from Purdue um, with my master's degree in HR. I was recruited by General Electric Company, um, spent about seven years working for them, uh, getting, uh, I went through their HR leadership program, which was a very progressive and kind of state-of-the-art program for its time, developing some of the best HR leaders in the country. Uh, learned a ton during the seven years that I worked there. Um, then actually transitioned out of GE and over to PepsiCo or Pepsi Bottling Group at the time. Uh, and spent another about seven years actually developing through um, just successive, you know, larger and larger HR leadership roles um, within that organization. Uh, that was an interesting transition for me because I went from the purely manufacturing sector uh, with GE, everything was kind of um, uh, B2B and kind of transitioned into more of that B2C type environment um, where I was working with much more of a sales force. We certainly had the manufacturing and distribution and warehouse side of the business, but um, I learned a lot and got to grow with, with each of those um, kind of changes that I made throughout my career. I spent a, a, a short year um, working for Cargill uh, which is another very large global conglomerate-type company. Uh, I actually ran their talent acquisition team. Uh, we did the recruiting for their entire division. Um, it was the, the meat business, actually. And um, then also spent a year, my final year, within the corporate world, working for a company that is local to you guys there in um, Orange County uh, called CoreLogic. And I was the VP of HR for CoreLogic, supporting all of the, um, basically the corporate functions. So kind of that C-suite level. And through all of that, um, learned a ton, built my, you know, kind of knowledge base, my, my portfolio, if you want to call it, of experiences. And um, ultimately, though, decided that I wanted to, to make a transition outside of the corporate world and kind of venture out on my own, kind of take that entrepreneurial route, if you want to call it that. And so I decided to um, start my own business. And so that's what I've been doing now for probably about the last year or so. It's been off and on um, for a little bit longer than that. Um, but I started the company Optimizing You. Uh, my focus is you know, the way I like to break it down or make it most easy to understand is I want to take all of the great things that I learned kind of in the HR realm or within that function, and I want to focus, that's what I wanted to focus on. Um, so things like employee engagement, culture transformation, leadership development, talent management strategies, pretty much everything that I believe kind of gives that value add back to the organization, truly helps the company to optimize their performance. And so that's what I've been focused on for, like I said, about the last year or so. Well, that's a great intro. I appreciate you kind of walking us through all of that. Um, sure. I, uh, 
the, the CoreLogic connection we have. I have a best friend who works for CoreLogic, and then I have a one of my okay. one of my managers used to work for CoreLogic as well. So kind of familiar, very familiar with your that past company. Uh, I know you, sure. you listed a lot of different ones there, but uh, that was one that kind of stood out to me. Uh, you know, maybe be- before you started optimizing you, you were you know, we kind of talked about a high level HR exec. Um, and so maybe we could kind of start the conversation there with maybe what you took away from those types of positions um, mm-hmm. that maybe helped you as you, you know, then launch into become an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, I, I guess I should probably explain. There were sort of there were a few things that happened um, within those roles and then also within my life um, that kind of persuaded me to kind of move in that direction. So maybe it would help to give a little bit of that context, too. Sure, sure. Um, I'd say number one, first and foremost, um, the entrepreneurial route for me was a little bit of an escape from some of the um, high pressure, high demand that goes along with, you know, getting into those very large executive level positions. Um, I had been diagnosed with a uh, pretty serious and very rare autoimmune condition about six years ago. So I'm going to bear my age here, but just before I was 35 years old, um, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with this muscle disease, and the muscle disease rendered me pretty much almost unable to do anything that we take for granted in our everyday lives, such as um, standing up from a chair, brushing my own teeth, washing my own hair. And so I had this kind of awakening experience um, in which I realized that Everything that I had wanted to achieve in my life, um, you know, been a very, very ambitious, very, very career-focused individual, um, it kind of put things into perspective, as I think anybody who's ever been through, you know, any kind of life-threatening illness um, probably would, would testify to. Um, so that that really just changed my perspective on things. It changed kind of the outlook on, you know, what I, what I would consider success in my life and so you know with that it actually took me a lot of people have a hard time believing this but it actually took me almost five years for me to figure out you know that I wanted to take a kind of a left turn and and do something very different with my life but I think the other side to that too was that I had I had quite frankly become somewhat disenchanted with the function with you know being part of human resources and, and kind of everything that that function had come to stand for. Um, and I have nothing against, you know, there's lots of wonderful people and I still have great friends and great colleagues, you know, who are still working, you know, doing every day what they do. But for me, it was um, the entrepreneurial route was kind of an opportunity to sort of step away from some of the things that I just felt were not value add back to the organization, things that, but quite frankly, even with, within these great progressive companies that I was working for, I felt as if my function was becoming somewhat marginalized through some of the activities that we were being asked to do. Um, and the way I describe it to people is I felt sometimes like I was in a Groundhog Day movie where I was you know, waking <laughs> up year after year right. being asked to do a lot of the same things. And that you know, oftentimes was some form of cost-cutting exercise, some form of reduction in force, some automation project that was going to lead to, you know, cutting costs within the business. And, and while I'm, you know, not naive, you know, 20 years of business experience, I'm certainly not naive to the fact that companies, you know, have to take actions like that at times. But when that seemed to become the answer for everything, I, I would look at myself in the mirror every day and I, you know, would say, it's, it's time for you to make a change. And so that's, that's a big part of why I made the decision to go in the direction that I did. So I hope that answers your question because quite honestly, I forget exactly what you asked me. No, no, no. Actually, it does. And it rolls kind of really well into the next question I had, which is really talking about HR consultancy and that as you know, we've kind of gotten to that point where it's a commodity. I mean, you're, you're really describing that. The idea here that we go back and ask HR to automate something, we ask HR to find some cost cutting, and and so there are so many other areas that we could be focusing on to bring value to the company, to bring productivity to the company, innovation, uh, entrepreneurship, whatever it may be, right? As opposed to, can we just save five more dollars over here um, on our labor costs mm-hmm. or whatever it may be? 
Um, right. You know, so so where do you think that companies should be focusing um, that would really help them as a, so they're not getting into that rut that, that you were describing? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what I created my business around. Um, and so when you talk about the things that can truly change the course of a business, I think it does come back to what feels very basic, but gosh, just has such an impact on the individuals that, that are within the organization. So, you know, not to sound repetitive, but it is employee engagement. It is culture and, and transforming the culture within an organization. It's, it's having great leadership in place that can, you know, really connect with their employees and, and really get the best performance and motivate them to be the best performers every day when they come into work. Um, it's managing the talent and having the, the systems and the processes in place so that employees understand, you know, what a career can look like for them and, and why they should be excited to come to work every day and what the company is going to do for them, essentially, kind of that employee value proposition. Um, I mean, I, I, I fundamentally believe I spent my entire career going into various you know, parts of these organizations that I work for and kind of gained a reputation of being kind of a turnaround, turnaround gal or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would, I would, um, they knew that I would take on the challenge. They knew that I would step into, you know, a part of the organization that, you know, for one reason or another had started to, to bleed and that I could, you know, with, with the people strategies that I would put in place, that I could, actually turn things around and in fact when i was at um, pepsi in my last role with pepsi i was leading um, what would be kind of the western region for pepsico um, i walked into an organization there with uh with a three-year track record of them just losing money year over year over year and you know certainly can't take all the credit for it but along with um, a new regional vice president that had been put in place about six months before I got there, and a team of people. So the first thing that we did was we we changed leadership. We identified where we had some gaps. We identified where you know, we knew we didn't have the strongest leaders in place, some people who had just sort of you know been there forever and nobody had ever had the courage or the um, uh, gosh, I guess the courage to, to do something about it. Um, so we changed some of that up. We, we actually put some very young and talented leaders in place, people that we saw had immense talent and the ability to, to do what I said before, you know, truly connect with their workforce. Um, we put them in place. We, we made lots of process changes. So we, you know, put processes in place that, that, um, identified this talent through the organization that recognized them on you know regular bases. Uh, we did we just did so many so many things from a people standpoint that after I'd been in that role for three years, I can proudly say that we turned that business around. Truly turned that business around. In fact, you know a four hundred million dollar increase in top line revenue is what we saw in that business. So, uh, you know, again, a business that had been bleeding for the last three years prior to that, in just three short years, we, we changed that. And we did that through the people, absolutely 100% through the people. So when I hear, you know, these, you know, these comments about, you know, HR being, being mo- marginalized or commoditized, and um, it, it hits home because I know it's happening and I felt it. And it was a big part of why I made the change in my career. But I also can look back and probably say, you know, this, this is the kind of impact that good people strategy can, can have on an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, you know, a lot of companies are kind of dealing with bad leadership. Um, it can really, mm-hmm. per, you know, produce a negative environment. Employees, you know, generally list that as the number one reason why they hate their job or why they're leaving. It's it's bad leadership. <laughs> um, and yet it seems like an area that, although it may be growing as an issue, it's really not being mm-hmm. addressed. I mean, we, mm-hmm. uh, at least not systematically, not in a way that we look at automation, not in a way we look at technology. Not, you know, instead of going back and saying, can we have the absolute best leaders, 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and so sometimes I wonder if that's because we are people are know or they're worried that we're not going to keep that leader long term. So it's like, well, do we really invest in them or we could just get rid of them? Um, or they're, we're going to invest in them, they're going to get better, and then they're going to leave. Whatever it may be, there's, there just mm-hmm. seems to be certainly a gap there. Um, right. Maybe you could talk about what does it take for a company to have an environment that really, truly produces a sense of, of good leadership and appreciation uh, for the job that they're doing? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think number one is companies are very often, especially publicly traded companies, can just be so short-sighted, right? And and I'm sure I'm not the only person that shares that view. But, you know, when companies are chasing those quarterly um, goals to report to their analysts and their investors, you know, that, that to me is, is kind of the number one problem that exists out there. Um, but I think, like you said, you know, it does require some systematic approaches, some some processes that have to be put in place um, in order for, for number one, for the leaders to, to feel like they have maybe some tools that they can, you know, have at their disposal to be able to recognize their employees and to be able to reward them as appropriate and so forth and so on. But also, you know, ways for them to stay connected to their workforce at the same time. I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking back, you know, so many of the years that I worked. So it's probably, let's see, I started my career in 2001 when I started with GE, coming out of grad school. And it was still a, a pretty good time in the economy. But you can think about, you know, what the next, you know, seven years look like, right? Until we hit, like, 2008 with the, the big recession, the big crash. And probably for those first seven years, I can't remember the details, but, you know, I was in an environment at GE where, you know, we, we could actually reward the top performers with raises every year, right? But then I think about the second half of my career, kind of the next, you know, 10, 12 years after that, and it really became you couldn't even give increases to employees any longer. I mean, you were dealing with a a 2% budget that you had to look at for your entire organization. And and I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that compensation is the answer for everything because it's not, there's so much more to it than that. But if you can't even do those kind of fundamental things for your employees, then, you know, that's when things, that's when that, that, um, I call it employee value proposition, but that's when that really starts to fall apart. Um, and I think, again, I've kind of gone off on a tangent off from your question, um, but hopefully, you know, that, that gives you some insights into how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's... <sighs> If you can approach it the right way, I think, as you kind of demonstrated with your story, it can really have an an incredible impact. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe from a simple standpoint, one of the things that we um, often talk about that that companies can do or leaders can do is start to find ways to foster creativity and to Mm -hmm. maybe give their employees more autonomy uh, to get their Mm -hmm. jobs done in a way in which it fits them um, in that workplace. Have you seen that be an area that that can be effective, or are there other simple things that you might suggest companies look at doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think in this day and age, employees are expecting more and more autonomy. Um, You know, the day is gone when, when... any kind of employee is willing to kind of give up their their flexibility, their um, you know sort of ability to make their own decisions. I don't think it's sort of that corporate drone that we used to see many years ago, even when I first started my career. Um, the the new generation is not willing to put up with that. I think just in general, people are not. Um, but when I look back at at one of the the times when. I was most excited to be a part of the Pepsi organization was when they actually had a general manager mentality. So they they had it structured such that individuals in leadership positions kind of owned the um, the geography that they were that they were running. And man, that spirit of ownership, that spirit of you know, this is my business, I'm going to run it, and I'm going to run it like it was my own business, that created such an amazing environment. 
um, Pepsi eventually moved away from that, and and I think that kind of led to you know some of the issues that we had in the later years that I worked there. But you know, that I think that I think creates or fosters that environment where you're not just walking the talk, or you're not just saying that you're giving employees uh, autonomy. You're actually giving them the decision making authority to do that, um, and. I don't know. I like. I was just watching. Um, uh, I prepared for a, a leadership meeting that I was facilitating um, last week, and I was watching one of Simon Sinek's uh, TED talks on creating safe spaces. And I don't know if you've seen that one before, but he, you know, talks about good leaders basically make people feel safe, mm-hmm. and there's not a mentality of being punished if you if you make a mistake. There's not a you know mentality of being being uh, um, held accountable and there's accountability I shouldn't say that but if you if you have a setback along the way because you maybe make a decision that doesn't end up working out for your business then it's a get back up on your horse again and you know keep riding and keep keep charging forward to, to the ultimate goal um, I don't know. So those are, those are the kinds of environments versus, you know, I have worked in environments before where they put so many unnecessary controls in place that people felt, people even at the highest levels in the organization felt like they, they couldn't make decisions on their own. And that, it, you know, you talk about the number one thing I think that talented individuals want to do, and it is make decisions that they have to live with, that they you know, have thought out, right? Because big, talented people are not going to make decisions or put decisions in place that they that they can't live with themselves, right? But that's, that's what they're looking for. That's what everyone, I think, fundamentally is craving. Um, so if you give them, if you create that environment for them, man, it's, it's, a, it's a fun place to be. And I've lived through it before. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like it's, you know, it's simple and, and it's maybe it's um, and it's thought, but maybe slightly complex in its application. Um, and it sounds like you, you spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and studying it. And so I'm wondering, uh, you may have a great answer for our next question, which is, is are you, what are you reading right now? And can you tell us about that book? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, wow. Well, funny that you should ask that. Uh, I'm not a huge reader as a matter of fact um you know especially all those years that i was working you know way too many hours in the corporate world i would always kind of joke that the last thing that i wanted to do was come home and read some kind of management or leadership book because i was living it all day long (laughs) right right so um yeah so probably the most recent book that i've read like the diary of a wimpy kid or something that i've read with my fourth or sixth grader um i'm just kidding (laughs) No, but I, I really do mean that. Um, I think I come from a little bit of a school of hard knocks. I, I do like to surround my people, myself with people who are a little bit more academic than me, who, you know, like to read those books, who like to stay, you know, very contemporary. Um, but I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I guess the most, uh, yeah, I'm just not the biggest book reader in the world. I did recently, I did recently, though, I have to kind of dig myself out of this hole here, but uh, (laughs) recently did a session with a team on Strength Finder, so I love, absolutely love that that book and that just whole idea, the concept of of focusing on your strengths. Absolutely. Now, Um, did you get get your five strengths? Do you remember what your number one was? Ah, what was my number one? So I was facilitating another group, so I really didn't do the assessment. Oh, you didn't do it, okay. Myself. Yeah. yeah, but I'm pretty sure focus. I'm pretty sure I've always been yeah. high, high on focus. Well, Strength Finders is fantastic, and I we, <laughs> we, we suggest it for your new hires. We suggest you, you do it for everyone in your company. It's a great way to understand people's strengths um, and have a great conversation piece around because even you know there are other great tests like discs and others but they do talk about what makes you effective they also talk about your negatives but strength finders is just hey this is where you're strong and um, it's a really great uh, way to to introduce somebody into your organization or to have a conversation within your teams and 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 for us we've found it's a great way to find where you have gaps Um, when we 
when we went back and surveyed all our employees, we found out there were particular strengths that we did not have anyone in our organization with those strengths. Yeah. And so, man, that's where we went to go higher. Then as we brought people on going forward, we need people who have those things so we can balance ourselves out a little bit, you know. That's right. Yeah, I love the way Marcus Buckingham puts it. He says uh, something like, you don't need to be a well-rounded individual. You just need to be a well-rounded team. And I fundamentally agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, I can't mention how many. So I mentioned I'm going to the Inc. 5000 conference later on today. And I remember Mm -hmm. the first time that I went in D.C., I was asking a lot of these really great people that had speaking and these authors. And essentially would ask them, you know, should I work on my uh, the things I'm not good at? You know, this was sort of a a philosophical like conundrum I was having. And they would all tell me Mm -hmm. yes. And I would say, but do you do that? They go, oh, no, 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 of course not. I, I just focus on what I'm good at, and I outsource everything out. But it's like this society tells us to be well-rounded, right, to focus on the things right. that, you know, be be better at the things you're not good at. But really, that's not, not ideal. The most successful people work really hard at what they do well and find other team members or people who enjoy doing the things that they are they're terrible at. And everyone's a lot happier. Um, the only exception well, to that is I have found that in a marriage, it doesn't always work. You have to work on, on yeah. some of the things you're not you're not so good at, but... <laughs> that is true. That is true. And I focus on pretty much every exec- executive coaching client that I have. I make them go through the strength finder assessment because I really, I also find too that, you know, too often, especially as people have been propelled into bigger and bigger leadership roles, they, they do tend to be a little bit more self-critical about some of those things that people have pointed out to them over time. And so if you can get them to focus back on um, the things that they are strong at, and especially when they have the luxury of having teams or ability to delegate or, you know, whatever, have other people do those other things for them, it, it just absolutely makes them a better leader. So I'm, I'm such a huge proponent for that. So probably one of my favorite, favorite books ever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, it sounds like uh, good. You, you did dig yourself out of the hole, so it's a good one to uh, for everyone to go back and read. Um, really appreciate you being on the show today. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about optimizing you? Probably the best way is just to visit my website. So it's optimizing you, which is y o u h r dot com. Fantastic. Well, again, many again, thank you for being on the show today and providing us with some great insights and understanding and uh, learning more about you. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you come back and uh, give us an update on all the cool stuff you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, and I would, if I can just leave you with one final comment, please. I would hope that for all your listeners out there, that you know, it is a tough labor environment right now. Um, so, if companies don't have the internal talent to be able to put together those solid engagement strategies or the talent management strategies, culture, you know, um, or if their culture really stinks and they don't have good leadership in place, I hope that they do something about it um, because that's what I'm on a mission uh, with my new venture and kind of stepping outside of the cor- corporate world. I want I want companies to realize that they can focus on that and that it can change it can change the world for them. So I hope your listeners hear that and hopefully do something about it. Fantastic advice, Vandy. Me and you both uh, doing something about it is really the the key here. So uh, again, thank you for being on the show and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you. We'll wrap it up here. Thanks everyone for listening to our show and hopefully you gain something uh, that you can use in your own career. Um, Andy just gave you a great piece of advice. If you weren't paying attention all along, just take that one right there and that'll do it for you. So next week, my guests will include. Uh, Wayne Bellato, the president and CEO of Webco HR, and then Jillian Phelan, the CEO, oh, sorry, co-founder and board member of Red Canoe Ventures. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G Two. 